0: Well, to begin the talk this evening, first I want to congratulate you for getting through your first full day of the retreat. Uh, You're almost through. I mean, there's a little bit more to go, but generally, for the most part, you got through. And (laughs) the main reason I'm saying this right now is because um, at least 50% of the people here really are doing this for the very first time. I haven't done any kind of uh, intensive meditation retreat before. And by intensive meditation, I mean you're silent, really sitting and walking and sitting and walking and not interacting with other people. That's, that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot to do for the first time and to get through the day and really be left with yourself and to go through all the things that you've gone through today and you're still sitting here. (laughs) I don't think anybody has actually left yet, but (laughs) but it's wonderful because for a lot of people it's really difficult and some people report that in the groups to us as well, just the difficulty of doing this kind of practice where you're just really sitting and walking and sitting and walking, and there aren't any other distractions, there aren't any other stimulations or anything else to get involved in. You're really just left with yourself and your own mind. It would be wonderful if you were just left with yourself and you could turn your mind off. (laughs) But that isn't actually what happens, and I think we've all experienced that today, that there doesn't seem to be an off switch and maybe some of you have actually looked for one, but there doesn't seem to be. We're really left with ourselves and our own minds, our own hearts, our own feelings, and all that that goes on as we're left to ourselves in the silence. And it can be really difficult for a lot of people. What actually makes it so difficult? Because essentially... I mean, when you look at it from the appearance level, we're just sitting <laughs> and walking and eating, lying down, brushing our teeth, doing a little bit of work. So from the, from the appearance level, from just looking or talking about it from even just that descriptive level, it doesn't seem like it should be very difficult. We all know how to walk, <laughs> We all know how to just sit still, physically, but yet something goes on. Something goes on for us. I mean, one thing that happens is that we are putting these bodies in a, into a certain posture or a certain form, and we're asking it to sit there and not move. And the body isn't really used to that. We're really used to being much more active, much moving around much more. Oftentimes, the body isn't used to sitting still for very long periods. And so there can be a kind of rebellion, a rebellion from the body. You know, the the muscles ache, or the knees ache, the back, you know, the neck. We feel stiff. (laughs) We just want to move. It just doesn't, it just feels too awkward or too uncomfortable staying in this position. Or in that stillness of staying still in that posture, we start to feel restlessness, like we want to move. It's not even just a physical thing of of muscles or knees or backs, but the restlessness starts to come, that energy, that energy that we have within us that wants to express itself in some way, physically, and so we can feel the restlessness starting to arise inside of ourselves. And it seems that if the pain in the body isn't there or the restlessness isn't there, then we feel rather sleepy or tired. And sometimes we don't know whether the sleepiness is just arising from boredom because there actually isn't any pain to deal with (laughs) and the energy's kind of settled down. So there's nothing else to do. We just get a little bored and say, well, just have a little rest or have a little nap. Or it can be a sleepiness that comes through actually stopping, just stopping everything from a lifestyle that's actually very hurried or busy or involved in lots of things, lots of responsibilities, or certain situations that we've just been involved in that have been, you know, caused us a fair amount of, of turmoil or, or a lot of stirring at the emotional level. And, it's, and we may be quite tired or exhausted from all that we're, we're dealing with. Or it may be a physical weakness or some kind of uh, um, ailment or uh, uh, un- unhealthy aspect of the body. And we're tired. We feel weak. I and mean, so much, you know, so much goes on. Not to mention, if none of those things are going on, then it's just the mind then we're left with the potential for all these difficult mind states just the mind moving it's not just the mind moving because it's not a just it's the mind moving all over the place into the past and into the future and commenting and, and describing and explaining the present it's all this mind agitation or mind restlessness, mind movement. And all this is going on. It looks like we're just sitting very still (laughs) or walking very slowly. And probably there's been a few of you who thought that about everybody else here on the retreat except me. Everybody else can sit so quietly and so still and I'm the only one that's having all this inner restlessness and agitation and pain. Or everyone else seems like they're walking so slow, and I just want to run. You know, it's the way it looks on the appearance level. And probably somebody was saying the very same thing about you. But yet, inwardly, we have all this that goes on. And this is the reality. This is the way it is. And so in this, what we're confronted with is our ideals and our expectations about what should be happening or what we think should be happening or what we'd like to have happen here. Because we do have this whole world, our inner world, happening, and it may not necessarily be the way we want it to be or like it to be or, or even feels good to be, then we have to see, or we will see, all the ideals that we're carrying about what should happen in our practice. And a number of people do come with these expectations that, first of all, in a general way, it shouldn't be the way it is. (laughs) Something different should be happening, whether it's the mind being much more quiet, the body being much more still, not having the pains in the body, being able to concentrate more fully on the breath, feeling into the very specific specific sensations of the breath, feeling more light, feeling happiness, feeling ease. Whatever it is, whatever those ideas are that you've come with, you're going to be confronted with those if you think something different should be happening. And we say again and again that whatever is happening is what should be happening. What's happening is what needs to be happening, what should be happening. And really what, we're, what the task is, what we're asking for, is can we come into a level of acceptance or allowance of just what's happening because this is the present moment reality and what we're attempting to get in touch with is the present moment reality and what's in conflict with present moment reality is our thoughts about reality what we think should be present moment reality what we'd like it to be how we want it to be but oftentimes it's difficult just to let it be let reality be as it is because the tendency of mind the strong tendency of mind is to create and generate all these overlays overlays of ideas of images of expectations of demands pictures all kinds of all kinds of associations about what should be happening and and in that it becomes like a filter or a veil for us to actually experience present moment reality. And in this, we feel that, that separation or that split or that gap between what we think we want to have happen and what is happening. And in that, gap, what arises is frustration, agitation, anger, hatred, criticism, dislike, all these kinds of difficulties, very difficult mind states and the tendency to move away, the tendency to want to imagine some other reality, something else that's better than this, anything that's better than this. And the mind moves, and then the mind moves into all these worlds that we make up of time, past, present, and future. We might say that on some level it's a bit unfortunate that we can actually do this, (laughs) because with the potential of the mind, it is infinite in the possibilities of what it can imagine What it can fantasize, what it can make up. And generally, the mind will do anything to make our experience more pleasant than it is. (laughs) Because oftentimes, bare present moment reality isn't that much fun. Because we're in a human body, we have a human mind, and this is our reality. We call it the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. This is life. It's all of it. And it can be very difficult to open to the sorrows or open to that which is painful, which is unpleasant. So we're faced with this dilemma, present moment reality, and how we imagine it to be, or how we would like it to be, or all the ways that we imagine other things so that we don't have to be in present moment. And then we come to a retreat that has the name The Way of Heartfulness. The Way of Heartfulness. And this name, this Concept of this idea of heartfulness can throw up a whole set of images, of expectations, of ideas. But what does it mean to be heartful? What does it mean to practice the way of heartfulness? And again, we may have our images or ideas about what I would be like if I was heartful or if I really understood the way of heartfulness, if I knew how to be heartful. Which is maybe one of the reasons you came to this retreat, (laughs) because there's something about that that attracts you or appeals to you. But but again, there can be a potential trap here. There can be a potential trap. If we take this concept of heartfulness, and we make it into something, we elevate it into something that we are not. And then criticize ourselves, or condemn ourselves, or get angry at ourselves, frustrated with ourselves, because we aren't that. We aren't that way. And depending on how much we are aware of this, or not aware of this, this can cause a great deal of agitation within ourselves, if we don't actually see that that's what's going on, if we don't see that we actually are carrying this whole set of images or an identity about ourselves and then kind of using that as a club or using that as something to to hurt ourselves with because we aren't there, we haven't reached it, that would be a real shame because really that would also not be really practicing much heartfulness (laughs) if we really were getting down on ourselves that way, judging ourselves, getting angry at ourselves. So we want to bring into awareness this potential split. Again, this way that we can fragment. It is the way that we fragment from ourselves. the the split between what's really happening, what we really are, how we're really manifesting in the present moment, and then how we imagine ourselves to be or should be. And then that we feel that gap, we feel that split. And it's really very important that we become aware of this. We become aware of those that set of well it's really baggage you know the whole set of ideals and the set of expectations that we're carrying that then become quite heavy we call it baggage, it's heavy, it weighs a lot, we carry it with us and it's something that actually can cause a great deal of sadness or sorrow or uh, anger towards ourselves, even self-hatred because we're not meeting those expectations. And this area, this whole area of this gap, is really very fruitful. It's a very important area that we work with in the practice. It's something that we we really pay attention to, is how we think that we should be, or expectations that we have for ourselves, or the demands that we put on ourselves, and the present reality, the reality or the truthfulness of of our being, the real truthfulness of who we are. This is really a lot of, particularly in the beginning where we, we bring in the practice, bringing in awareness so that we can pay attention to the ways that we are talking to ourselves, condemning ourselves, judging ourselves, putting ourselves down so that we don't keep reinforcing that mind-thought. We don't keep reinforcing that identity or that image in the mind, which just keeps it solidified. It keeps it fixed. It keeps it real, in a way. The more that we believe in it, the more we identify with it, gives it a kind of reality, as if it's true as if I really am this terrible person who really shouldn't be meditating because I'm never going to get anywhere anyhow. I can't watch my breath. I've got a lot of pain in my knee. I have all this obsessive thinking in my mind. I shouldn't be here. I don't even know why I'm trying. This was a bad idea. (laughs) You know, these kinds of thoughts (laughs) that get generated and create a lot of doubt they create a lot of doubt. Doubt about ourselves, doubt about the meditation, doubt about the teachers, doubt about Gaia House, all the other people here. (laughs) And I think it's very big. This can really expand so that it feels like our whole reality. It seems like our whole reality. But through the practice, through paying attention, through being mindful of what's happening within ourselves, paying attention to these kinds of thoughts, paying attention to the feelings that get generated, paying attention to the kind of actions that we want to take to try to get rid of these thoughts or act out of the, 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 the uncomfortable feelings. By paying attention, we can let go just a little bit, say, okay, I don't have to follow that. I don't have to give it so much reality. I don't have to believe so much that that's who I am. Perhaps we might be able to see they're just thoughts passing through. And they don't actually have a lot of substance to them outside of just these thoughts, bubbles that move through the mind. So we become aware of it, We acknowledge what's actually happening, that we're judging or condemning or criticizing. And then we come back, we let go, come back to the body, come back to the breath. Let go. Let go. And in a way, this is what I mean when I talk about the heart. It's one part. I mean there's many ways of talking about the heart. But in that letting go, letting go of the thinking letting go of the identification with those thoughts about who I think I am, and coming back into the body, into the breath. That's a way that, for me, seems to be coming into the heart. Coming into the heart. It's almost as if, energetically, there's a drop from the thinking mind, which seems to be going on here in the brain, dropping the energy from all the thoughts, and you know it takes a great deal of energy. We can feel it sometimes. We feel like we're just going to fall forward with all the thoughts. We're just going to topple like right forward and fall over because we lose our balance. There's so much energy going on mentally. But as we begin to let go of that and let those thoughts drift by, drift through, and bring the energy down, it's almost as if energetically we're shifting the attention from the thinking mind into the heart qualities, into the heart body or the heart being. It even seems that as we bring the energy down, we're moving down into where the physical heart location is, breathing in and out of the heart, being in the center of our body. And it seems that something gets awakened within ourselves we begin to let go of these identifications, this belief, these imaginations, these fantasies about who we believe ourselves to be and who we believe others to be and how we imagine this whole world to be. As we let go of that and come down. We may say, become more centered, more grounded. We have all these words, you know. We have all these different words that point us back, come into the heart. However it is that you want to speak about it or think about it or structure it, it's about letting go. It's about letting go. Letting go so that there's a possibility that something completely new can be discovered so that we're not so fixated about the way that we think things are, the way that I think myself to be or others to be, and discover something radically new, radically new, and maybe more true. That's the best part. That maybe what we discover is more true. And we may say, this is when we... What we mean by finding out the truth of your being, discovering your true nature, your true being. So these are, you know, they're all words. These are all words that are pointing to something. The words in themselves can't actually mean that much to us until we start to touch something. We begin to touch something in our own being. So we present the basic practice, the basic practice here, which is a a way, which is a tool or a technique to begin to help us let go. So when we say, when you notice that you're thinking, when you notice that you're thinking, rather than keep indulging in those thoughts and continuing around those thoughts, just let attention come back to the breath or to the body, or we've even included the hearing. Let go of the thoughts. Letting go doesn't mean pushing them away or trying to get them to stop. It just means not to give them the attention, not to give thoughts the interest, because we get so interested, we get so fascinated by everything that arises in our thinking mind. It seems so interesting and I suppose it's so interesting because it's about me. <laughs> it's about you. And what can be more interesting <laughs> than ourselves? <laughs> but it's also fascinating. So we're saying just just in a moment, just once, just for an instant, let it go. Let it go. Don't be so interested. <laughs> and shift the attention, just slightly shift the attention back. We use the breath, we use the body, we use the sound, something that isn't the thought, isn't the thinking. See what can be discovered, see what can be touched. But yet, of course, it's very difficult. It's very hard. People said today, but I, I yes, I, I, can, I can let go of the thought and then come my breath, but then I'm right back into the thought again. It just doesn't last. It doesn't. The attention just doesn't stay with the breath. It doesn't stay where I place it. Yes, this is what happens because we have a habit. I want to say bad habit, but I don't want to judge. <laughs> we have a habit of being fascinated with our, our thoughts and our dramas and our stories. So we have to somehow... Shift that habit. We have to establish a new habit. A new habit. So we're saying, let's try something different. Let's see if we can shift the attention somewhere else. Even if, like a rubber band, like a yo yo, you know, the, the attention goes right back to the thoughts again, to the stories. It's like, just bring it back. Bring it back again. One of my favorite teaching stories about this that I heard when I was starting to practice many years ago, but it's always one of the sweetest stories, is the story about, the metaphor about training the puppy. Because really, in the same way, this is what we're doing with our own minds. If you have a little puppy, a, a new puppy that you just got, and maybe people have had this experience, you have to, and the puppy, you know, lives in the house we will we'll live in the house for the most part. You have to train it so that it doesn't pee everywhere all over the house. And so usually what you do is you put some newspaper in one of the corners and every time the puppy pees somewhere, you put his nose or her nose in the, in the spot, give it a little pat and put it on the paper and say, here, you know, stay here. And then the puppy wanders off pees in another corner, (laughs) put the little nose in, give it a pat, put it back on the paper. And you have to do this. How many times do you have to do this before the puppy's going to get the message that it's not supposed to pee over here or over there or go over here or go over there, but it's supposed to stay on the paper. It's supposed to pee on the paper. If you really try to, you know, really get angry at that puppy, and really start to beat it, it's actually not going to serve the situation very well. It's just going to really hurt the puppy, and it'll probably traumatize the puppy at some point. But all we really have to do is just give it a gentle pat, just a gentle pat, just a gentle reminder, a little rub in the nose, a little pat, put it up, just gently picking it up, putting it back on the paper and saying, stay here hundred times you know it's going to wander away little pat back on the paper and it's exactly what we're doing I think it's such a really good metaphor for that gentleness the real gentleness and the patience and the kindness that we need to bring to our own experience as we're retraining the mind or we're re- retraining the heart however it is that you want to look at it is we have many, many years, and if you believe in past lives, you know, may be many, many lifetimes of this habit—habit <laughs> habit of being very interested in me, in the I, and everything that's happening around this character, this central character in the show. This is a hard nut to crack. <laughs> But little by little, we begin the process. Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. See if we can find something new, discover something new, as we become less fixated or less identified with our stories, with our own mind. Here's a poem by Galway Cannell, which is a lovely poem that sort of exemplifies what it is that we're speaking about. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within, of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on the brow of the flower, and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. To reteach a thing its loveliness. It's really what we're doing. (laughs) And it's a beautiful way to look at it that we're actually reteaching. It's not that we have to become lovely, become something that we're not. It's discovering that we already are lovely. <laughs> Each and every one of us is already a lovely, unique flower. But through these habits, of mind, these habits of being, it's been covered over, that realization, that recognition gets covered over, we forget. And so it's about reteaching ourselves our loveliness, a beautiful way to put it. an email from a friend the other day and I don't know about you but I'm really enjoying email these days <laughs> new new phenomenon of email and it's really a fun way to for me to share with other friends what's going on and reflections and and just as I was reflecting on this talk today I was remembering this email that I got the other day from this friend and I and, and I was thinking about what he said and I thought huh somehow that weaves into what I'm talking about tonight so I want to read what he said and then see how it weaves in uh, my my dear friend and her partner who wrote this just uh, took a a vacation, a holiday in, in America. They're Canadian, and they just went down to the southwest and had a wonderful holiday exploring the national parks down there and camping out and all the adventures that happen when somebody takes a, a, a holiday of that kind. So he's just telling me about one one incident, and he's saying, I wonder if Donna told you about our Denver escapade when the fuel pump on the Taurus gave out as we were starting west on the I-90. The person who came to tow us to a service station offered to let us camp in his garden. Ever keen to meet people and to accept offers of generosity, I said that would be perfect. Accordingly, we arrived at his house. He had confirmed with his wife that she was okay with his offer to find a home of most amazing apparent chaos. Everywhere, the roads on two sides filled with campers, tow trucks, other vehicles in various states of disrepair, the two garages filled with all kinds of mechanical bits and pieces, the veranda half used as an overflow for household items, the kitchen with all the counters 18 inches deep in utensils, and myriad other objects, the bathroom, which seemed to be no one's obligation to clean, and so on and so on. My overriding feeling about where we found ourselves, well, how utterly incredible that anyone can be so unselfconscious as to invite strangers back to such a home, <laughs> with social condition, which social conditioning would generally deem as an incredible mess. This surely is generosity to an extreme. I was fascinated by his take on that, that this was really an aspect of generosity, of, of heartfulness. And when I was reflecting on it, it seemed to me that the house or the garden or the grounds that he was describing in some ways was actually a metaphor for myself or for yourself, for for, our, for the way we are, incredible chaos. <laughs> you know this this here and this there and this in disrepair and the mind here and the mind there and just this and yet this act of generosity to say, come on, doesn't matter. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. There's nothing to hide. Come on, enjoy yourself. I have a place for you to stay. Camp on my my lawn. And that really is, you know, if we could have that same open-hearted generosity of spirit for ourselves, for that chaos, (laughs) or as he says, that incredible mess (laughs) that we find ourselves in, to not be ashamed, to not hide out, to not think that it needs to be different. (laughs) It's wonderful, isn't it? I mean... It seemed to me in his description of the story is this this man just didn't even have a moment of self-consciousness of thinking that maybe they wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't really want to be here or like it or think that something was wrong. But that that he invited him back to the house. Come on, sleep on the lawn, camp out. Doesn't matter. That's that attitude. That's the attitude of, of awareness, of kindness, of generosity, patience, you know, compassion, however it is, whatever word that touches, whatever word is that speaks to us that we need to hear for ourselves, to have that same open-hearted attitude for what we see in ourselves, for present moment reality. Not for how we would like it to be or imagine it to be or get angry because it's not, but how it is. Can we let it be, really let it be, just how it is? But in some ways, you know, the Buddhist teachings don't have like... This isn't just Buddhist teachings that I'm talking about right now. You know, of course, the Buddha emphasizes a great deal this open-hearted attitude of loving-kindness and, and uh, generosity and truthfulness and uh, balance of mind and uh, patience, patient acceptance. All these are very important qualities, but it's not new this isn't really new to any of us. I mean, these are the these are these are these are qualities about being human. This is about living together in this world, living collectively in this community of of, of this global community that we're in. And it's also something that many of you have either been practicing on or reflecting on for a long time or for a great deal of your life already. And so I thought that maybe it might be worthwhile just to take a moment and just reflect for a moment how you already live. What qualities, what heartful qualities are already manifesting in your life? What of these qualities that I've been speaking about tonight are already here for you? That even today, as you were going through this day, this new day, this difficult day for many of you, what did you already bring to your experience? What you might discover is that there actually was a number of moments of patience. There may have been a number of moments where you were able to let go of the way that you were talking to yourself or the way that you were criticizing yourself and saying, okay, that's not helpful, I don't need to do that now. Perhaps you were even reminded enough to actually say something that was quite kind to yourself. It's really good that you came. Even to yourself, you're saying to yourself, "It's really good that you came." Even though this is hard, this is difficult. It's really important. And it's been a big step for me. It's a big leap to be here. I feel really good about it. Ways that your mind and your heart is already very resourceful. You're able to to draw to call on these qualities of mind and heart. And it's important to reflect on that and to be aware that much is in place already. And what we're attempting to do is to reinforce those qualities through the practice, through the practices that we are going to, and we are introducing, we're going to introduce, practices that really reinforce these ways of being with ourselves, ways of being with others, ways of being in the world, the practices of loving-kindness, practices of letting go, renunciation, practices of compassion, kindness, patience, all of these helpful attitudes of mind that we can bring to our present moment reality. And it doesn't necessarily mean that then it gets easy, <laughs> or if we're doing it right, it gets easy. And if we're doing it wrong, then <laughs> there's a lot more we have to understand. It just means we practice, we remember. And we attempt to reinforce that attitude, that helpful attitude of mind, as much as we possibly can through acknowledging through being aware through catching when that's not going on and seeing if we can bring about that helpful mind state of kindness or letting go and to end I want to just bring in just another little frame here. Because I've been talking about developing these qualities of heart, developing loving kindness, and surely, as I said, the Buddha puts a great deal emphasis on this as as the path, as a very helpful way along our journey. But being loving, being heartful isn't necessarily the goal. It's not the goal of our practice. It's the way of our practice. That's why we call it the way of heartfulness. So we say this is the path. It's not the goal. So then what is the goal of this practice? And talking about the goal can be talked about in so many ways, so many words in so many ways, and can mean so many different things to different people. But one way to describe the goal of this practice is to say that the goal is freedom. The goal is freedom. But in order to say freedom, we have to say freedom from what? And in this, pa- in this pathway, it's the freedom from suffering. Freedom from suffering. And the Buddha said, I teach one thing and I teach one thing only, and that's suffering and its end. Suffering and the end of suffering. And it's when we come to the end of that suffering, then we are free. We are free in our life. So the goal is not about loving unconditionally or getting to a state where we can be so fully accepting and loving unconditionally or to recapture some kind of state of perfection (laughs) where we feel we have reached some kind of perfect state within ourselves. But it's really about isolating those causes of our suffering. Isolating those causes which really are Craving and attachment. The way we hold on. The way we hold on to our fixations. And when we can isolate these causes, then we can bring them to an end. And here is where we find truth. This is where we open and discover our true nature. The attitude of loving-kindness does uplift the heart and it frees the clinging from the mind. The heart opens and the mind opens and we find our way home. Let's sit quietly for a few minutes.